Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, we have got an interesting show on because we have a gentleman on who's going to be talking to us about soldiering on through grief and moving through the chasm of grief and through that into a, a life that we don't want to live, a happy, healthy, and productive life. So Heidi, you want to introduce our guest? Sure. So our guest today is James Sesnek. He was a nurse working in critical care, uh, but when his wife died, it became very personal to him. James is the author of Soldier On, a memoir of my late spouse. Welcome to the show, James. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, James, it was interesting because I was reading about uh, your life and you say that your life's so good now, it's, it's scary. And yep. uh, and the idea that you had seen a lot of grief and loss and, and death and all that kind of thing in critical care in nursing. But when you it happened to you, it became personal. Talk about that. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was a transition. Uh, my wife did not die unexpectedly. It was a long process. Uh, she had cancer for 15 years and it was an up and down like a sine wave. Got hope, then despair, hope, bad news, up and down, up and down. Uh, a year before she died, she had a surgery, which I wrote about in the book. And in that surgery, everybody, and everybody, without one exception, cheered and said, you're going to live forever, basically. And 364 days later, she died. Wow. Yeah. And uh, her death in the last three months was a an unbelievable experience. You know, when you're working as a nurse in the hospital, I work 12-hour shifts, so you spend 12 hours bedside with somebody who isn't doing well, is on their way to death. And then when you go home, it's like, okay, their, their pain doesn't register in your mind anymore. You're right. home, you're having dinner, you're doing whatever you do, you take the dog for a walk, whatever. Uh, but this was different, because this was there in front of you, and you could not escape it. Yeah. I, guess, I guess people do run away. We read, I've read about a lot of people whose husbands just leave. You know, and, and I couldn't do that. So as a result, the last three months was pretty much bed, bedridden. Now, for nurses, as a nurse, you understand this dosage. In the last month, she was hurting. She wanted to basically wait. Didn't want to die, but knew it was going to happen. They brought her into the ICU where I work. So all of my friends were there. Mm -hmm. they, gave me a, they gave me a room on the far end by itself. And that was where she died. And she died holding my hand the next day. And it was really pretty unbelievable. Uh, when she took, I, as a nurse, you know when they're gonna die. You just, you're not sure which breath it'll be, but you know it's gonna happen. Right. And when she took her last breath, it was like after, for about 30, 15 seconds, you're looking at it, go, oh, come on, breathe, breathe. And then when you realize that she wasn't breathing anymore, it's by myself with her, there was a moment of almost joyous ebullience 
And then all of a sudden it just crashed down. You and your wife, we're both nurses. You've lived all over the country in really interesting places. And you were, it sounds like you were extremely close. And I'm just wondering, I mean, here you sat bedside, watched her go through all this pain and then die. And yet you say, and I quote, my life is so good, it's scary. Yep. So, you know, we're, my mom and I are like, okay, how did he get to the point where it's that good? Well, I decided in my head that I would give myself one year to grieve. And uh, I gave myself three months. To, well, I decided right away that I needed, I didn't need it. I wanted to have another person in my life. Mm -hmm. Because I've, my late wife always said, if you have a good marriage and for some reason it ends, i.e. death, you want to do it again. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was my thought. You were going to give yourself a year to grieve. Yeah. But three months after you went online, tell us about that. Well, that was interesting uh, because first off, we never had any kids. Mm -hmm. so, and I hadn't dated in 30 years. Mm -hmm. So I had no clue. I had no idea. I mean, you know, what do you do? <laughs> it was a new world with the internet too. Yes, exactly. So I, I met, went online and of course, if you're familiar with Sedona, it's a small town. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my rule in dating was I don't date anybody for work because everybody knew my story. I didn't want to get involved in that. So I was dating around town and it's a small town. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have to expand my horizons. I started local and looking online, it was a website. And so I, I met a few people on in Sedona. They were nice, but it just didn't click. Mm -hmm. And one day I saw this one beautiful woman who happened to live in Phoenix. Now, if you're familiar with Sedona and Phoenix, that's a two-hour drive. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how in the heck is this ever going to work? But I figured, what the heck? I already know it's in Sedona. That ain't fine. So we made an appointment, made a date. I met her at Mimi's restaurant in, in Phoenix. And when I walked through the door, I saw her sitting in the back waving at me. And I knew right away, this is the person I needed to be with. What did you do for those three months? I mean, people are wondering, how did you keep yourself together for those three months? With great difficulty. Um, I, I worked, I, I was working part-time. Uh, I worked Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, 12 hour shifts, and then I had 10 days off. I must say, let me just subset that. The, the job that I worked at worked out so well for me. They were so kind and I am, I don't, I can't, I don't understand how someone who doesn't have financial security, which I luckily happen to have, mm -hmm. uh, can deal with something like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had no debt left from when Kath died from cancer. That's pretty rare. Yeah, yeah. I know there are a lot of widowed people who just wonder how they're gonna survive. Exactly. See, for me, I don't wanna say I had it easy, but I had it easy. I had no debt. I had a job that was secure. I had a house that was paid for. I had no debt, and it was just me. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Sit around, and feel sorry for myself, which I did. How lonely! Lonely is the word I always hear. Lonely. Um, I would. For me, it wasn't lonely. It was just missing companionship. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess you can call that lonely, but it was companionship. I longed for the. I, I missed the companionship, yeah. and it's what I did. You asked me what I did. What did I do? I first thing I did. I, I went on a pilgrimage. Oh. I, I, I called it my pilgrimage. 
Uh, after I buried her, we uh, she, we had two funerals, one in one in Sedona and one in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. After I buried her in Ann Arbor, I came back and I literally the next day got in my car and I went from San Diego up Highway One all the way to Vancouver Island. Just stopping wherever I wanted to. I'd throw my lounge chair out, cry my eyeballs out. And uh, when decided fate wanted me to move, I would move. I had no end, no, no time to end. It was all the time I wanted. So that's what I did. And I was gone for like, I don't know, two, three, probably three weeks at least. And just just sat. You know, you don't have a curfew anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> because for for a year I slept with one eye open. Because yeah. I was, you know, monitoring her, and it, I was it was just exhausting. But you can't say I'm tired because the person you're looking at is dying. That's no comparison. You know that that that's not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. But now, like you said, there was no more curfew. There's no more things to do. And I said, no, I got to take care of myself. So off I went on the pilgrimage. And, and you know what I did on the pilgrimage? When I would stop at restaurants, I practiced talking about it to waiters and waitresses in restaurants. Wow, oh, I love it. Because you, know, you, you don't know them. You'll never see them again. Yeah, right. You know, it was almost anonymous. And uh, that was a good thing. I didn't well, even... Yeah, one of the things that we know from uh, complicated grief, one of the ways they treat it, our friend Catherine Shear at Columbia, is to have people talk about it. And mm-hmm. you know, you have time to change your story. Your story evolves exactly. as you tell people. I always say about grief, when my son died, I knew I was on the right path when I was bored with my own story. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> That's how I felt, as you said it very well. <laughs> That's what I did, and uh, by the time I got to Vancouver, uh, Victoria Island, and there was a lighthouse, a Fisgard lighthouse, and I sat there by this lighthouse looking out at the ocean, and that's when my life changed. I sat there, and I'm sitting there looking at the water. I sat there for, I don't know, a couple, three hours, and I finally said, okay, I'm done. It's time to go home, time to get on with life, you know, and I have this big, I have a picture of the white lighthouse, and it's literally over our bed right now it's a huge poster and that's where my life changed i mean nothing miraculous just sat up and said okay time to go home and uh, deal with it so that's what i did what happened after i came home there was a couple things i did the first thing and it was absolutely the most hardest thing of it all was emptying her closet Mm. and she had her therapy when she was dealing with all this stuff was she would buy clothes and she'd never wear them because she was dying of cancer but she'd buy clothes and i still had clothes in there that had the, the price tag on them. oh wow yeah and so I, I i had three piles i had okay these clothes are going i don't know what to do with this pile and i'll deal with the third pile later and over time the piles eventually went away i also refurnished my house i i i tore apart things, painted everything, cleaned it all up. The bedroom looked like a hospital ward mm-hmm. when I came home. There was IV bags hanging all over the place. Oh my. It was just a big mess. And I said, no, no, this has got to, this has got to change. So that's what I did. And uh, I also, I also took up ice skating. <laughs> wow, I love this, James. And uh, 
I ended up playing ice hockey. So that was good therapy. Oh my gosh. Well, that you <laughs> got you with good. some guys too, right? Uh, but I would go running also in the morning. I think exercise is, is, is imperative. You got to move. You, yeah. you, you can't, you know, you, you got to move. You know, also while you're running or skating, your mind is also going over all the stuff that happened to you. So you kind of process it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that, that was helpful. When I met Alice, my life totally changed. Uh, I met somebody who was so compatible, I couldn't believe that I found somebody that was so compatible. Curiously enough, which I did not know at the time, but curiously enough, she too had lost her spouse one year before me. Wow. And he died, he was a firefighter, and he died from colon cancer. And she did the same thing I did, only it was in a shorter duration. It was a few, you know, three or three years or so measured versus 15. So we both had that commonality, if you will. What was a learning experience was that when you lose somebody like that, I was married for 30 years. When you lose somebody like that, you know what you're looking for. And even more so, you know what you're not looking for. And, and it's so often so in front of your face that was so blind to you when you were a teenager or in your early 20s. You know, when, when you go through something like that, and I'm, I was 60 years old at the time, you don't put up with a lot of stuff. Maybe that comes with curmudging and old age. I don't know. But <laughs> you look at this and you go, this isn't going to work. You don't try to convince yourself that this is going to work. And, oh, if I can just change this, this will work. No, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I learned. And as a result, you know, Alice felt the same way. So we've been married, well, we've been together. Actually, Halloween, eight years ago, was our first date at the Phoenix Art Museum. Wow. <laughs> and we've been together. Yeah. And we've, we've been nonstop together ever since. And that's why I say my life is so scary because we, we have to laugh because her sister said to her, well, don't you guys have arguments? And we looked at each other and go, no. <laughs> Is that a prerequisite? Yeah. We don't. I mean, we have we talk all the time. I mean, and it's gotten to the point where I have to laugh because she's finishing my sentences. <laughs> and it's just comical. I mean, we, it's so good. And uh, I, I like you know, how when you like, I, James, I like how your first wife gave you permission to go oh, on. Yes. She died. She basically said, you know, you need to go and date and find somebody else. I mean, that's a beautiful yeah. thing she yep. gave you, I have to tell you. I think that's also you know, why you jumped on board so quickly because she was on board with it. You know, you bring up an incredibly important point uh, because in Alice's life, he did the same thing for her. Wow. He said, you have to go out and find somebody. You cannot be alone. I won't have it. You got to be, you got to go find somebody. And that's so important because you know what? Guilt is a very powerful thing. Right. And, and it's like, how can I go? How can I not be with you? Oh, well, you're dead, but I can't, can't justify it. Yeah. Uh, that permission is a huge, huge thing. It's interesting you brought that up because I couldn't agree more. Was there anybody thought it was too early after uh, for you to be getting involved in a relationship? Scary. Yes, I have, I have to chuckle. Uh, because my older brother, mm -hmm. who's uh, three years my senior, uh, said that very word when I showed him the very first picture of Alice. And he goes, well, this is too soon. What are you doing? You know, and I, had, I, I literally laughed at him because for what it's worth, my brother Joe 
has never been married. He's three years my senior and he's never been married and he's giving me marital advice. <laughs> I mean, no, but he was not the only one. There was other people that said, well, you know, that's pretty quick. But what they failed to realize is that I was grieving long before she died. Right. You know, she was on death's door sicker than snot for three to four months. Wow. And uh, it was bad. And, you know, people think that the switch flips when she dies. Oh, it's grieving time. Oh, no. It starts long before that. And you know what's curious? What's really curious is in that early moment, that part, the three, four months before she died, there's guilt in your head because you go, you, there's part of you that says, you know, you need to die so you can move on and I can move on and we can take care of this. So, right. and, and you then, you're saying, and you're saying the quality of life, which was not the quality of life that she would have wanted. That's exactly right. You know, but then what comes in right after that thought? Guilt. Yeah. How can you think that? Yeah. Well, I'm a human. Right. <laughs> right. Well, listen, uh, how can people get your book? I, I really love all the, the things you're saying about it. Uh, your book's called Soldier On. Yes. And how can people get it? It's on Amazon. All you got to do is Google Soldier On. And it should pop up. And if it doesn't pop up, Soldier on Cessnack, and it'll pop right up. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the show so much today. It's just been really interesting how you moved through the chasm of grief. And you, you certainly did. And I love the fact that uh, your life is so good today. It's scary. I mean, what a great comment. <laughs> thank you. And it's true. It's, it's scary. <laughs> uh, I agree. I agree, James. I think it is really, you're really refreshing. It's refreshing that you're so candid and, and that you soldiered on because the reality is if you hadn't soldiered on, your your first wife wouldn't be here anyway. I mean, she would have wanted you to soldier on. Absolutely. I love that you've remarried and that you have an amazing life. Um, it's it's incredible. So please, everybody out there, go get the book Soldier On and find out how you can do it too and how you can soldier on. Absolutely. And I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today on this show. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own, and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.